John Tapscott. And I'm Alex Tapscott. And this is What's on Tap. Alex, let me start uh, with kudos to you. Um, you explain what DeFi is in less than two minutes. Uh, you know, Mark Twain famously wrote to a friend, I'm sorry I wrote such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short letter. I'm sure you, it took a little while. Or was it creative editing and putting that together? So um, before you say anything, uh, we're going to do a little, I'm going to do a little innovation here on what's on tap. And we're going to run the video. And for those of you listening in on a podcast, not on video, um, there are words, so you'll be able to hear this. The most important technology in a generation has arrived, and it's called blockchain. Blockchain represents nothing short of the second era of the internet, and as such is going to have as great, if not a greater impact than the first era. When you use the internet today to send and move information, you're not sending an original thing, you're sending a copy. Now that's fine for emails and for texts and so forth, but it's very problematic when it comes to assets, things that have scarcity, like money or stocks and bonds. And so we've had to rely on middlemen, even as the internet has created a peer-to-peer -peer network for information. Blockchain solves this problem. Blockchain enables for scarcity in digital goods. And the most exciting era of blockchain development today is in a space called DeFi or decentralized finance. If Bitcoin enabled two individuals to move money peer to peer without the need for a bank or other intermediary, then DeFi enables peer to peer models for basically every single thing that the financial industry does. Not just moving money, but storing money, getting access to credit, exchanging assets, getting access to growth capital, insuring against catastrophic risk. FinTech is a new user interface that allows you to interact with the old financial world. DeFi is a new foundation. It is a new superstructure that allows us to reimagine the financial world as we know it in a way that is more transparent, more efficient, more fair, and ultimately more democratized, meaning more people can access it. In only a year and a half, the total value in DeFi projects has grown from around a billion to $150 billion. Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange that sometimes does more daily volume than Coinbase, MakerDAO, and DAI. Its daily volumes often exceed that of Venmo. All of the different building blocks of the financial industry, in short, are being disrupted by DeFi. And I, for one, feel very fortunate to be a part of it. Uh, among other things, uh, good production values. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are confused about fintech and DeFi, and, and that it, it clearly explained the difference. How about open finance? That's another term that kind of gets uh, thrown around. How does that fit in? Open finance is the in-between ground between the traditional world and the world of DeFi. And I think that's where a lot of innovation is occurring today. And I think we're, it's where a lot of um, this is going to end up. So to, to be clear, DeFi is about the wholesale reinvention of the infrastructure of the financial industry. It's about building a system not with companies um, and counterparties, but with protocols and software. And it's about knitting together different technologies so that anyone, regardless of who they are, or where they are, can access a rich array of financial services, right? Um, in the same way that the internet allowed anybody to access a rich array of information. But I think ultimately there are lots of institutions in the world and um, other sort of structures like regulatory structures that it's gonna make it difficult for DeFi to reach its unfettered uh, potential. And I think what's gonna end up happening is we're gonna some, land somewhere in the middle. And we're already actually starting to see that with a number of DeFi protocols that are trying to make 
environments that are more uh, familiar to institutional and traditional financial players. So Uniswap, for example, is looking to create basically like a separate pool with credentialing that would make it easier for institutions to trade on decentralized exchanges, for example. Um, just today, we saw R3 announcing that it was focused on building out a new DeFi uh, platform using its own native token. Uh, by the way, a big uh, change of strategy for yeah. a bank consortium with $120 million of funding and a focus on building uh, walled gardens. But even still, it's not going full DeFi, so to speak. It's looking at building an environment where um, regulators and other um, overseers can basically keep an eye on what's happening inside of an environment where credentialing and permissions still exist to some degree. So I don't know if that's going to be successful, but I do think that ultimately we're going to see different kinds of um, versions of DeFi, you know, DeFi for the common man, DeFi for the institution. And I think that um, somewhere in the middle is where we're going to land, uh, where, you know, some institutions still have some influence in financial markets and traditional companies that we're used to seeing are still there too. Uh, but I think the underlying technology that we're using is going to be radically different. I had to chuckle the economist a couple of weeks ago did a cover story on DeFi and um, they talked about it as a real thing, a revolution. But then the tagline was how this could help improve banks in the real world. So <laughs> I guess you got your banks in the real world and then you got all this other stuff that it's not part of the real world that that you are deeply involved in. Yeah, uh, well, remember, remember, like the the Internet made it a lot easier for Blockbuster to reach a bigger audience and to build its own streaming service and to take yeah. over. Oh, wait, no, that never mind. That never happened. It was Netflix yeah. that did that, not Blockbuster. <laughs> Blockbuster went no, but it, it, helped, it helped Kodak build out its film business. But, oh, no, no, no. That, that, uh, that never happened either. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, no, Yellow Pages. I mean, well, ever since, you know, the Internet came along, it's search yeah. function proved a lot. Oh, no, wait, that's not true either. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. like the idea of banks and governments being bleeding edge innovators in the world of DeFi is frankly laughable. And um, there's uh, someone on, on Twitter, uh, Meltem Demiros, uh, had a funny quote where she said, um, asking uh, the economist for its opinion on DeFi is like asking a virgin their opinion on sex. Um, you know, I mean, it's a bunch of British journalists sitting in a room somewhere trying to think of what DeFi is without actually, you know, using it or knowing what it is. So now, um, uh, that's not to disparage The Economist. I love The well, Economist. I read it every week. It's a, it's a good pub. And in fairness to The Economist, they wrote the first cover story on blockchain for a major publication. That was um, 2015, I think. I remember it just predated the publication of Blockchain Revolution. So anyway. Yeah. So, and to their to their credit, I don't see any other major. Not that there are any major newspapers left, but you know, where's the mainstream media doing a deep, trying to do a deep, honest dive on on something like this? Right. Um, we see the the mainstream media typically fall woefully short in its coverage of technology, especially this area. That's for sure. Well, I have some insider information, not in the financial market sense, but in the general sense that you are working on a massive piece on this right now. And it's going to be the lead article in the new book. Uh, wh what do you want to call it? I thought it was going to be digital asset revolution, but maybe it should be DeFi revolution. I don't know. That's uh, you're going to have to think about that, but it's being published by Barlow uh, books and it's a compendium of uh, great pieces from the blockchain research Institute on this topic. 
Yeah, well, it's, a, it's an interesting question, like what to name the book, because really it is about digital assets or tokens or you know digital bear instruments, however you want to describe them, and the impact that they're having on the economy as a whole. Now, it just so happens that they're having the greatest impact today on financial services, which makes sense. It's an industry of, of assets, <laughs> and this is a digital medium for value, so that makes sense. But it's not necessarily only about DeFi. So to say, you know, to call it a book about DeFi is accurate, but misses the potential, I think, of the underlying technology to transform a lot more. I mean, even as part of the research, you know, we're spending a lot of, I'm spending a lot of time looking at DAOs. It happens to be that a lot of the biggest DAO treasuries today belong to DeFi protocols like Uniswap. But that's just a function of the fact that DeFi protocols were the first DApps to, to launch. Um, and, you know, ultimately, it could be that the DAO for some completely unrelated thing that has nothing to do with finance ends up being the thing we're all talking about in a couple of years. So now, for those of you who are not fully uh, au courant, Alex is not referring to the Dow Jones or the chemical company. He's oh, referring right. to the distributed autonomous organization, which yeah. is a concept. Um, we called it uh, pre the existence of any of these things. Uh, we called it the uh, decentralized autonomous organization. We called it the decentralized autonomous enterprise. And uh, in, in blockchain revolution, of course, a couple of weeks later, an actual thing appeared uh, unrelated to the book, no doubt. But um, anyway, that's a DAO. Yeah, that is a DAO. Um, you know, the, the decision about the uh, that R3 is made to sort of open itself up, so to speak, to the world of DeFi, Kind of help, can't help but feel it's got some similarities to the, the old internet internet debate of the 90s. And you know a little bit about that. Why don't you talk about that? Well, I do. Um, in the early days, uh, first there was, there was the ARPANET and then the internet. And um, I was using the ARPANET in the 70s, actually, at Bell Northern Research. Um, but the internet itself uh, started to enable us to uh, do email broadly in the uh, late 80s and uh, early 90s and then with tim berners lee uh, tim berner lee's great invention the web um, and really the release of uh, the first graphic browser mosaic that became netscape companies started to implement internet strategies but back then if this sounds familiar uh, it is um, the word was well the internet i mean it's really the wild west um, oh, isn't that what Janet Yellen or somebody just called? Uh, oh, dear, Gary Gensler just called um, <laughs> called uh, crypto that. But anyway, it's the Wild West and it's full of crime and there's porn and it's not secure and um, it's not a real industrial age enterprise type computing. So we'll build our own versions of that that are in-house, they're proprietary. They're our own private internets and we called them we they were called intranets then over time as the net itself improved in security and robustness and it became clear that this was a new platform for everything having to do with information uh, companies embraced that is that where you're going it's a similar analogy today pretty much yeah i mean the idea that with blockchains it was we love the idea of instant frictionless transactions but we don't like the idea of 
a, per, a permissionless system where anybody can access it and where actors are, you know, behaving anonymously or pseudo-anonymously and we don't know where they are or who's behind them. So we're going to build these walled gardens and create environments for us to do blockchain, but in, you know, our way. And I think that a lot of the initiatives to try and build those systems have not worked. And this is a dichotomy or tension that has existed really since the beginning of of blockchain. I mean, Vitalik Buterin, who's the you know inventor of Ethereum, pretty well known by now, basically described it to us as such in an interview for the for the book way back when, um, and and described these uh, tensions. And and you know, I think his conclusion obviously was that open source systems generally tend to win out because they are programmable, uh, they're permissionless, uh, anybody can access them and you can interconnect into them. And that's what we're seeing right now with crypto networks, uh, which are the blockchain fit protocols that are supporting all of these applications. Um, they are being woven together into an internet of blockchains with protocols like Cosmos and others um, playing a leading role. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about the other analogy was pre-internet it was computing platforms themselves every computer company had its own proprietary computer operating system and you couldn't move your applications to another operating platform uh, because the cost was prohibitive it was called doing a conversion which is a, a terrifying word to a cio and then eventually open source came along based on unix it became linux and now all of them share for their their big servers all of them and for all kinds of other things phones uh, share a common operating system and all the action is has moved up to a higher level of uh, value creation and that's how companies compete now that's not to say that uh, kyc and aml is a bad idea is it i mean no. or that you shouldn't have a application uh, that's proprietary, say, to your customers, if you're a bank. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be open. Um, and, uh, you know, there are different levels uh, of this whole storyline. I mean, do you, do you want to just comment on that quickly? Because I think yeah. it's a confusing thing to people. I think you described it very well. And I think that anarchy is not the goal for most people who are advocating um, these open systems. But they would argue that, you know, what is the value of a closed environment that only a select few people can use to an industry like financial services, which requires scale and liquidity to function properly. So you need to be open um, and you need to be able to interconnect into other systems. So on the back end of this will be these open platforms and on the front end will be applications that are specific to certain customers and use cases and asset classes and so forth, you know, with various controls and whatnot on top of it. And that actually kind of ties back into what I said at the very beginning. And that's the world we're going to is one where elements of the traditional financial system endure, but that are built on DeFi platforms um, and on blockchain networks that um, I think we'll, you know, create a, a, an industry, as I said in the video, that is, you know, fairer, more efficient, more transparent, um, more auditable, something that I think is kind of important, um, and ultimately more democratized, right? So um, that is the goal, and I think that's where we're headed. Good discussion uh, to be continued, I guess. Um, 
I think that's a, that's a good round for today. Uh, we do have some uh, big announcements from the BRI. A new uh, research project is completed. It's called Blockchain Transformation in Telecommunications. Uh, that's for members at blockchainresearchinstitute.org. Um, the new book, Platform Revolution, edited by yours truly, will be released uh, November 1st on Amazon. And um, it's available for pre-order now. Hey, get this. On Amazon.com, our publisher just sent us a note saying it's the number one new release in the management category. So I think um, uh, that's better than a kick in the pants, as my dad would have said. Uh, we'll be announcing the finalists for the 2021 Enterprise Blockchain Awards. And uh, so stay tuned for the full announcement in our newsletter and on the website next week. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, um, sign up at blockchainresearchinstitute.org. And um, I, you can also, uh, I gave a, a speech, which was kind of a lot of fun. I think I mentioned this in the last session to the Cardano World Summit. It was kind of crazy. It was a metaverse. And um, I afterwards went and watched myself giving the speech as a little avatar. There are all these other avatars running around. And my speech was on this big screen with me on another part of the screen. There were 88,000 people attended that thing. And I think that you can uh, check it, a replay of it now that that's available. And the speech was about um, a sort of state of the union of blockchain, but also looking at the whole issue of governance and stewardship. How do we move this whole thing forward? And as Pindar Wong famously said to us in a previous meeting, uh, just because it's decentralized doesn't mean it should be disorganized. And um, Cardano uh, and the parent organization, IOHK, has this big project underway to explore new models and techniques for governing um, uh, uh, crypto and blockchain platforms and, and protocols. More on that soon. Um, um, I also uh, held the inaugural Hollow Session webinar for Art Media um, last Tuesday, and that's available on the Art Media site, A-R-H-T. They're our partners for holograms, and we'll be using them for the Enterprise Blockchain Awards, uh, which will be November 16th. Um, and we'll be beaming ourselves onto a virtual stage. The final thing is that um, we're hosting a webinar this Friday um, about the U.S. infrastructure bill and its implications for blockchain and crypto. And the conversation is going to be uh, chaired by me, but our special guest, Perianne Boring, who's president of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, which is a big trade association in the U.S. and really globally on blockchain. And also Michael Desmond, who's a, a lawyer and deeply involved in in a, in a congressional law. He's a partner at Gibson Dunn Crutcher LLP. So a lot going on here. Um, the revolution continues. Uh, anything else, Alex, for this week from you? No, good, uh, good summary for the week. We'll see you next time. Okay, take care, everybody. Okay, bye.